Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Raleigh Little Theater Podcast. I'm really excited to be bringing you our very first episode for our 2019-2020 season. So we're already well underway with this season. The first two shows are in rehearsal now. That's the Teens on Stage production of Antigone and uh, Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. For this first podcast, we'll be focused on Antigone. And this is an exciting episode because uh, the teens decided to help me out with this podcast, which is great. So I want to say a special thanks to Brenna and Laura Lillian, who are two participants in the Teens on Stage program. They help me produce this podcast and conduct interviews, think of interview questions, and they've just been fantastic. So I'm excited for you to hear what they are bringing to the table. Um, I do have to say um, this production of Antigone, I got to see two run-throughs this week, and it is so great. This is a very difficult play. It's one of the probably most famous plays in the theatrical canon, I would say. And um, what these teenagers are bringing to these roles um, and to this classic text is just pretty remarkable. And if you um, will hear um, as they talk about it on this podcast, you'll just hear the uh, maturity, the depth of insight, and the passion that they're bringing to the project. So we're really excited uh, to have you come see it. So before we jump into all things Antigone, I want to remind you of what's coming up at the theater. First, our free movies in the amphitheater, which happens on Thursday nights, uh, they've started. And so we're really excited uh, to bring that back every summer. And we hope you'll join us for a movie. The lineup is on our website, www.raleighlittletheater.org. Also, um, Antigone, it opens July 19th and runs through July 26th. And I am telling you, you don't want to miss it. The work that the teens on stage are doing is incredible. And the work that the teens backstage uh, participants have put into this show is really incredible. I would love, love, love for you to come support their work um, in this season that we're calling Now and Then, where we honor our past, but also look forward to our future. I can't think of a better way to really celebrate our future than by supporting these teens who have been working so hard. The costumes are beautiful. The set is beautiful. Of course, the teens backstage students will also be running the show. So it really is an amazing effort by some really committed young folks. So come support them, please. And A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder opens August 16th and runs through September 1st. And um, I really love for you uh, to come enjoy that show with us. Um, I'm having a great time directing it. It's an excellent cast. And I think that you'll have a really good time uh, really um, experiencing this great musical comedy. And finally, I do want to ask that if you are listening to the podcast, if you could subscribe on your uh, favorite podcasting platform and also give us a good rating that would help us expand our reach as we really try to dive into these shows that we do every season here at Raleigh Little Theater. I invite you to come to the theater but first check out this podcast with the amazing teens of Teens on Stage. I'm sitting here with Sarah Thompson who's our dramaturg for Antigone. Um, Hi Sarah. Hello Patrick. (laughs) Thank you for joining me today. So these questions are questions that uh, the teens on stage participants came up with. Um, They are in the middle of like tech, so uh, they couldn't do the interview, but they told me not to mess it up. So (laughs) I'm going to do my best. Fingers crossed. To do that. Um, (laughs) But I think, you know, um, a lot of people, culturally, theater people particularly, have heard of Antigone, uh, but there's many people in our audience that haven't um, heard of the show, even though it may be one of the most popular shows in the theatrical canon, really. Um, but can you tell us a little bit, like put the play in context? So um, maybe not plot so much just yet, but just it's a part of a 
a trilogy, correct? Can you talk to us a little bit about that trilogy? Sure. Yeah, it's um, the Sophocles, a Sophocles trilogy called the Theban Plays, um, and probably some the part of the play that more people who aren't just theater people have heard of um, is Oedipus Rex. You know, that's maybe one that you had to read in high school, um, and that's the start of this trilogy, and then it moves on to Oedipus at Colonus, which is kind of the middle bit, and then this is Antigone. So this is kind of the the aftermath um, after Oedipus has died um, and we find out more about his children and what they're doing. So this, this would have been a Greek play um, and it, it would have been probably presented as a trilogy at a theater festival. Um, so the theater festivals were competitions and these big, huge, they were competitions, but they were also like presentations to the God Dionysus, who was the God of theater and, fun and fertility and the harvest so so lots of stuff going on there um so they would have put on these plays to please him really um and this this was the last one in that trilogy so uh how does antigone kind of fit into the the whole trilogy i know you just mentioned we find out more about as kids but uh can you just talk a little bit about how why it's the last yeah so i think that that's a great question um i think that these plays are so meaty and so complicated and interesting really um so basically first part of oedipus oedipus saves the kingdom ends up marrying his mom killing his dad like you do um <laughs> and then at the end of that play he finds out what he's done so then we lead we we go to oedipus at colonus which is sort of the the aftermath of that and him trying to figure out them trying to figure out um, who's going to lead the city after he dies. Um, so then he dies, and now at Antigone, well, there's a whole, there's a lot that happens in Oedipus at Colonus, but he dies, and, and we get the the preface for this Antigone play, which is that his two sons that he had put in charge um, have killed each other for various reasons, and so Antigone starts up. And you're left with these two girls who are Antigone and Ismene, who are Oedipus's only surviving children at this point. Um, And so it is kind of interesting, I think, from a Greek theater perspective, that we have this play about these two girls, um, because they would have been girls. They would have probably been 14 or 16. Um, But it's interesting because there's... In so many ways, this play is about the men that are in this play. You know, it's about these two dead men, um, Polynices and and Ateocles, who are uh, Oedipus's sons who have killed each other. And then you have Creon and Haman, who are the the two, you know, current rulers. Um, But you do have these two girls at the center, and specifically Antigone, who seems to have as much conviction as Creon, the current king, does, um, but also has a really strong connection to the dead. Um, I won't give too much away, Mm -hmm. but the whole play is about how she wants to bury her brother, and Creon doesn't want her to. Um, And and Antigone is like 100%, there is no way that she is not doing this. which to me, I feel like is really interesting coming from somebody who's who we've seen lose so much over these other two plays, um, <clears throat> to now have Antigone sort of put her foot down and go, I don't care what happens to me, this is going to have to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. 
that sort of range. Yeah, no, it's good. No, because it's the end of kind of like because we hear we, there's so much that happens in both of those first two plays um, that really can just kind of like really set up the scene for how do the sins, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. or the troubles of this family play out generations mm-hmm. to come mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of what there is a power track through all three of them but there's also like a, a moral track mm-hmm. um, and so to get to this final one like you're saying and have Antigone really challenge authority mm-hmm. is such an interesting way to end it mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. uh, which is really you know it, it's an amazing piece and and for those of you listening you don't have to know the other two no. to enjoy they all really do stand on their own yeah. um, particularly Antigone yeah. Uh, yeah. because it really is a brand new story mm-hmm. so in some ways it kind of feels like the beginning of a new thing mm-hmm. as opposed to the end of a trilogy even though that is certainly what it is yeah and also the chorus gives you all of the background you know you get you get the background bits um here and there throughout but they don't really matter i don't think it's true no yeah yeah uh, the action is is unified on its own yeah which is nice um but tell, tell me a little bit about um why antigone now in the world mm. i think um there are lots of reasons uh, to do it. I know specifically talking to Meredith about why why it spoke to her um, in this particular time has been really interesting. Um, but one, you know, I mean, it's always awesome to have a play about a woman, a female character. Um, I think it's great for the teenagers to, to do a play about this woman who is so full of conviction and so sure of herself and what she's doing. Um, and so strong in the face of really scary things. Um, So I think that that's interesting. I think also something that Meredith has mentioned is um, this idea that nobody in this play listens to each other. Like they all, Creon and Antigone both come at this with like, this is my opinion, this is what I believe, and so that is the only possible, you know, solution to this or, outcome for this uh and i think that that's really interesting because it it does show the audience what happens when people are just sort of butting heads and not opening up those lines of communication or they are talking to each other but they're talking at each other so they're not making any effort to connect to actually connect and actually see each other's perspective which i think is something that we see you know a lot today people who We've already made up our minds. Um, we don't want to talk to somebody who has an, a, an opinion different than ours. And if we do, we just end up yelling at each other. You know, it's a little bit like screaming at the sun. <laughs> like nothing, nothing gets accomplished um, if we don't listen and try and reach compromises and, and um, that sort of thing. So I think in that aspect, it's really important. Um, it's a really important thing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about hearing you say that is it, at first it makes me think about social media, mm-hmm. like screaming at the mm-hmm. sun, you know, mm-hmm. that whole notion. But also I just feel like, um, you know, there's something pretty interesting in that when people aren't listening to each other who are in this primary conflict in the play, um, it not only like destroys those individuals, it also destroys the community around them, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. I think is like such a fascinating thing about the play and also really kind of speaks to just where we are currently um, as we 
as we scream at each other, we we have all this individual angst, but I think also our community is hurting Mm -hmm. for connection, for listening, Mm -hmm. for all that stuff. Um, I absolutely agree. When I was watching the run this week, I was thinking a lot about how um, it's so reflective of who we are. Mm. And I've even heard some of the participants in talking about the play just kind of have those light bulb moments of, man, like this was written so long ago. Mm-hmm. How can it feel so in the room? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. That's, that's awesome when that happens. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about, um, I know that if, if for people listening that maybe haven't seen a lot of Greek theater, because we don't do it a lot um, nowadays, um, uh, a little bit about the chorus and the function of the chorus, because oh, yeah. that's such a unique part of Greek theater. It is, and and the chorus in our Antigone is also a little bit interesting as well. So the chorus, you, I mean, theater started out as just chorus, um, and then eventually actors started like stepping out and reenacting the the action that the chorus was talking about. So um, in original ancient Greece, the chorus serves a lot of functions. In some ways they're the narrator, in some ways they are um, like the moral center who's sort of like commenting on the action and saying, yes, this thing that's just happened is great, or no, this thing that's just happened is is terrible. Um, But you also, they they can function as the audience perspective on stage. So like in some in some cases you have a chorus that's standing on stage going, "Oh, I can't believe that just happened." You know, mm-hmm. um, which is which feels good to us as audience members because we go, "Oh my gosh, thank God somebody else is thinking this." You know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <It's, Yeah. laughs> um, so so yeah, and I, I think in this in this production, um, the chorus is a character but they they are also making sure that we're we're all on stage, you know, we're all up to up to speed on what's going on. I feel a little bit like the chorus is the dr- the dramaturg mm-hmm. um, in some ways of this play because they are um, they're telling us the story, they're making sure we understand, but they're also making sure that the audience is still there with us. You know, they're helping provide kind of that touchstone for the audience that like even when all of this other crazy action is happening. Um, the chorus is going to be here to, to take care of me kind of, yeah. kind of a thing. So, or, or at least to share the chorus gets what I'm thinking, you know, like they, they get me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They really are our stand-ins yeah, yeah. and they get to comment on things that maybe we wish we could comment on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I, I love, I love the chorus sometimes. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah. And also again, in, in original, in the original productions, these, these guys would have been musicians and singers. And so they would have been a real part of the spectacle of, of these the, theatrical productions as well. So, and they're, and they're a little bit of the spe- spectacle in this production. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have the benefit obviously of lights and sound and all that kind of stuff, but um, their physical movement and things like that for this production are definitely um, also pretty spectacular in places. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us and for all the work you do on these plays. Um, it's always good to have you around, so we appreciate you. It's nice to be around. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brenna. And I'm Laura Lillian. And we're both in this year's Teens on Stage production of Antigone. It is a Greek tragedy. It's a pretty cool play. You should come see it. I play the character of Ismene. Um, and I am a chorus member. 
which does not involve singing, but it's a whole thing, so you should come check out what a Greek chorus is. <laughs> um, we're here with David and Valerie. Do you want to introduce you guys, yourselves? Hi, uh, I'm David, and I'm playing Creon. Uh, and I'm Valerie, and I'm playing Antigone. So these characters were written a long time ago. <laughs> long, long time ago. Um, but how do you think that they relate to today, modern society? Well, humans are still humans, and we will continue making the same mistakes for much, much longer than that. Um, and so I think it's the best we can really do is to uh, learn from others' mistakes, and especially from our own when we do make them. And I think um, theater is uh, just one of the places to explore something like that, to you know explore you know what arrogance does to a person and what kind of consequences it can have, and um, what you can learn from the tragedy of someone else. Um, and I think that uh, the Greeks, especially, um, you know, they were really into that. <laughs> Um, I find that there are a lot of strong female characters um, that I tend to look up to and I feel that through Antigone we can give another female leading role that mm -hmm. can kind of serve as a role model for younger girls who don't feel like they can speak up in a crowd or stand up for what they believe in. So I think it's really important that we're doing a play that was written so long ago where women didn't have a whole lot of rights in a world like today where we're still trying to gain that recognition. Um, so I think it's a great way to show female empowerment. Very <laughs> cool. Okay. so. These characters, they seem pretty black and white at, f black and white at first. Um, Creon is like the bad guy and Antigone's the good guy. But um, they're really, they go deeper than that. So how has your impression of your character changed and developed as you've grown to know them and worked with them? For me, um, I think it's, uh, it's important to remember um, that even the worst of people are still people. And I think that sometimes can be one of the most terrifying things about it, um, that a human could get to that point and do you know, some of the terrible things that humans have done. Um, but I think I would be doing a disservice to the play and to the point of the play if I didn't um, play him as a human with emotions, with things that he wants, and if I didn't uh, play him where he thought he was doing the right thing. because. That's why people take action, is they think that they're in the right and that this is what's going to help people. And some people are misguided by different things. Um, yeah, and Creon is misguided by his arrogance, it turns out. When I first looked through the script, script and looked through Antigone's lines, I definitely resonated with this character and felt that most people would have her opinions. And I couldn't understand why people would end up disagreeing with her and not standing up for this cause with her. Um, but as I continued through this process, I kind of understood that this was a life and death situation and to die because, of, because you wanted to bury your brother in honor of the gods, it seemed very risky to me. And it's definitely not a normal situation that people would be in where they would be willing to die for their god. Um, 
in a normal situation. So, um, one thing that um, I, I seem to like to put it in these terms, uh, where you generally you learn about it, you have the protagonist and the antagonist, mm -hmm. and um, if you just look at it from uh, labeling one character as the protagonist and labeling one character as the antagonist, it does become very black and white. Um, where you find the gray is uh, how do those characters feel and who do they think they are? Right. Because every character, I, you know, 99% of the time is going to think that they're the protagonist and whoever's acting against them is the antagonist and that they need to win. Mm -hmm. And so when, when those blacks and whites blend together, it does become the, the much more complex situation of, of human emotion that um, will be much more engaging. So this is a very old play, as we've already established, BC very 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 old my mom might have been there but i don't know okay so since we're doing a play with so much history and mythology there's a lot of character history and development already established for both creon and antigone so how much of this are you using to inform your performance i have used quite a bit of it. Um, I know me and Brenna, who plays Ismaini, my sister, um, <laughs> have talked a lot about um, the previous stories and what we can learn from that to further our relationship and keep it as true to the story of Oedipus as possible. Um, and I there's a lot of Greek mythology that comes in this play and is referenced. Um, and I think it's really important to go into depth for each myth and figure out why they're using this specific story at this specific time to get what they want. Um, for me, I think um, I definitely uh, you know, need the context of the story of Oedipus and what happens to him. Um, just so that I know how my character uh, feels about it and like why he's taking uh, his actions. Um, but I think in terms of uh, my decisions as an actor, most of them have come directly from the script. Um, and I've treated it more as a sort of self-contained story, whether that be right or wrong. Uh, I think one thing um, that is helpful to know about in terms of uh, Greek mythology is um, how Creon feels about the gods and his relationship with him. Um, because a, a lot of the times I find that Creon either seems to think that he is doing what the gods want, um, or that uh, what the state wants is more important. Um, I think it, it depends on the situation and who he's arguing with, um, but more often than not, he, he genuinely thinks that this is what uh, he usually mentions Zeus would want, and that the gods uh, would despise Polynices as much as he does. Um, and I think it's interesting the sort of cognitive dissonance that he has about the fact that he's being told that the gods' laws are this way and that he thinks he just knows that they're different now and that he knows what Zeus would want in this situation. We are doing the play set in a post-apocalyptic, war-torn, like, little world um, that we've created in the Gaddy, or TBS has created so awesomely Very um cool. yeah it's super cool um and we've we've known about this through the rehearsal process that that it was going to be done this way with the costumes and the set and 
Um, how has this affected your character development and performance? I mean, having it set in such a different place from ancient Greece, but also like not extremely different, like sort of parallel, I guess, is what I really mean. I think um, the setting in terms of story, what um, I think it most importantly communicates is the idea that this war was terrible and that it has brought the society to its knees and that um, someone needs to rise up and collect it back together. Um, and I think that also communicates something that we've seen happen far too often that um, when a society is torn down like that, the person who brings it back together um, is, is not always the best and becomes you know, a dictator or a tyrant. Um, and I think that that can communicate to the audience exactly uh, what happened there. Because I think sometimes um, part of the age of a play, sometimes it can be hard to imagine um, what the political situations were like. And so I think modernizing it um, really puts that into perspective and makes, and makes it much easier to understand. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, and I think it's important to note that um, since it's such a modernized version, we've collectively decided that Antigone had fought in the war, um, and that that's another reason for Creon to take this position against her. I think that's important to note that women were able to fight in this society, and that's not something that would have been reflected in past versions of this play, past ad adaptations. Um, and I really like that we're doing that to, again, show the modernized version of this and how it can still occur today and possibly in the future. As an actor, do you find it easier having this like role to play where there's all this history and mythology and like almost everybody knows about it and it's like a classic iconic thing in theater or like is it easier because there's less to sort of devise yourself about the character or is it more daunting not being able to start with a blank slate having all this I guess baggage like already attached and like preconceived notions. I think that uh, something that happens often nowadays in theater is taking these classic plays and putting some twist on it whether it be setting or casting um, something to that nature and I think part of that is that um, often that is not necessarily about throwing the past interpretations out the window because they're worthless but it's about um, <laughs> taking them away and saying, how can we reimagine this? What new can we do with this to learn even more from it than we already have? Mm. Um, because I think that um, attacking it the same way someone else already did, um, you might end up with the same result and yeah. then um, you, know, you don't quite get anywhere. So I think I, I often like that uh, nowadays when we take and produce these classic plays that um, we're trying to put uh, the modern age into it, we're trying to put new things into it um, so that we can keep learning from them, basically. Okay, so Val, back to what you said earlier about twisting it your own way. How exactly have the both of you brought yourselves to the character? What parts of you live on and will live on forever in Antigone and Creon? I will say that I think 
Antigone and I have a lot of similar values. Um, and <laughs> I think she's a better version of myself. <laughs> um, but I, I like to think that in a situation like this, because I haven't, I haven't personally been in a situation where um, I am actually being like, it's all that hate is directed at me because I'm a woman. I haven't generally been faced with that as much, like just one-on-one -on -one with someone else. Um, in, in the way that Creon attacks Antigone. Um, and seeing, seeing Antigone push back, kind of, I think, if anything, Antigone, I think, has left something in me. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's, it's sweet, right? <laughs> so I'm hoping that if faced with a situation like this, that my own little Antigone would come out and fight and push back against whatever power is holding against me. Um, with Creon and with characters like him where um, you go into it knowing that you're the bad guy, <laughs> it's easy to get caught, um, caught up in thinking about um, how you're different and, and sort of wanting to dissociate yourself as an actor from it. Interesting. Um, and so I think the, where the work and the truth of the character comes from is is uh, a question like this is how am I similar to him? What can I connect to him on, on a human level? Um, and I think uh, a lot of that can come from uh, the love that he feels for uh, different people in the play at different points. Mm -hmm. yes. um, and connecting to that on a base level uh, helps me get in touch uh, with the emotions of the character and um, in some ways like why he might feel motivated to do what he does. Um, whether or not I agree with it doesn't really matter at that point. It's about finding the truth of like, he does it because he loves his son, or he's doing it because he's trying to save someone. Um, different sorts of things like that that I can um, connect to and empathize with. And um, I think uh, a lot of the point of these sort of uh, tragic characters in these classic plays is that the audience is also supposed to be able to find something that they can connect with. You know, Definitely. even in someone you hate or someone that you disagree with, trying to uh, find a way to humanize that character and get the audience to pity him or or to or to empathize with him, I think that's a challenge that I'm I'm trying to meet up to in the character. Okay, so I have one more question that we didn't write down. I just happened to think of it. It's very short. What is your favorite quote that your character says? You have to pick a line. Whenever only, you're ready. Only, only one? You get one. <laughs> There's get a lot of chance. good ones, especially Creon. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he has the best lines. Okay. I think my favorite line is, um, what use are people who are all words and no action? I think that mm -hmm. is something that really makes me feel things. That's a <laughs> kicker. And you say that one to Brenna here. I do say that to my sister. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I like that line too, and it's like very, I like that um, Ismene's response to that is like, don't hate me, like she knows, <laughs> she knows exactly that where Antigone's going, like, like Antigone's not directly saying that like you're being a garbage human, like by, 
which just, kind of is. <laughs> yeah, by just all you're willing to like talk and stuff, but not do things. But it's like that. Her, I think Espany knows that those values are so like central to Antigone. Mm-hmm. That Antigone knows that the, that's code for you suck right now. <laughs> One line that always um, I think is powerful is uh, it comes near the end of the play, and I say. Man is a naked mortal creature. Affliction is all he can expect. Oh, that one hits me. That's so deep. Yeah. yeah. Ah. Um, and I think um, while it's not true as a general statement, I think it um, it really hits home to uh, a lot of the pain that Creon does genuinely feel um, mm. in the end of the play and a lot of the remorse that he feels. Um, and yeah, I think, I think that one... Um, yeah, that one always leaves me with a little bit of something when I say it. So hmm. that's what comes to mind. Nice. I love it. Great. Do you have any last words for the listeners at home? Come see Antigone. <laughs> July 19th through the 28th. There you have it, folks. That's our first podcast for the season. I'd like to thank the teens uh, and teens on stage for helping me out, especially Brenna and Laura Lillian. And please come see the show. Um, Again, it opens uh, very soon on July 19th, and it runs through July 28th. We will see you at the theater.